What's up, queens? Welcome to the Female Dating Strategy Podcast, the meanest female-only place on the internet. I'm your host, Ro. And I'm Savannah. And this is Lilith. And uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but we had a little bit of a blow-up on our Twitter this past week. Just a little one. Yeah, just a, just a teensy little one. FDS versus uh, OnlyFans Twitter. With a slight sprinkling of BDSM Twitter as well. Yeah, sex work, sex work Twitter. We had a feud with sex work Twitter, basically. I don't know if you guys saw the drama, but we can read it out. I, would, I just wanted to say, I wanted to talk about this on the podcast because... First of all, I didn't I I didn't write those tweets, so I can't take credit for it. But reading those definitely made me reflect on some of my own experiences as a former sugar baby, and so I kind of wanted to talk about that in this podcast. Uh, but before we do that, let's uh, let's go ahead and read what the actual tweets were for those who aren't in on the. Yeah, it was like it was like a massive blow up, and by far our most singular tweet engagement that we've had so far. Uh, I don't know if we would have predicted this would be the one, but um, apparently we really... Uh, ruffled some feathers there, yeah. We ruffled some feathers, <laughs> uh, jangled some corsets, and uh, kicked some dildos out of... Uh, ruffled some dildos? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, let's, let's go ahead and read the tweets first and then use that as kind of a starting point to, to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So the series of tweets that we made on our our Twitter account was basically pointing out all the places in which sex work Twitter has started to creep into the mainstream saying they're fighting stigmas, they're pro-feminist, they're pro-female, and that's not supporting them as anti-feminist and anti-female, and then pointing out the hypocrisy of that considering all of the things that they continuously do that are attacking women, that are anti-female, and that are contributing to the dehumanization and abuse of women, and especially women of color. So this is just basically a clap back to that ever loud and growing cohort who decided they need their work, quote unquote, validated at the expense of what would be civilian women, which we describe here. Um, civilian women was a, a colloquial term that sex workers use for women who are not sex workers. Um, and, and this series of tweets was a clap back to that, which saying like, it's very hard for you to claim some kind of feminist superiority and then try to guilt trip people into supporting your content when a lot of your content is actually the problem. So this is what these series of tweets are about. So just brief history, the entanglements between sex work Twitter and FDS has come in the form of media critique from sources like Vice Media and other sources of women's media that have been pushing the pro-porn narrative. So if you notice in our tweet history, we've posted different articles and uh, excerpts from, my, from Vice, from Mashable, from Allure, from different magazines that have had these like narratives where they're grooming or pushing girls into sex work or trying to obscure the reality of the profession to create an empowerment narrative. And so for, uh, for a lot of our, our um, people that follow the subreddit, they know a lot of times we post tweets like this to be somewhat provocative on purpose to point out the hypocrisy. So we've, we've had actually a history of doing that. It's just that this set of tweets blew up in particular because a lot of sex workers started to jump in and respond to it versus the other ones where they didn't for whatever reason. Um, okay, so starting off with the first one. Uh, how sex workers can support civilian women. Number one, stop making content that sexualizes rape, pedophilia, incest, misogyny, or racism. This is normalizing and reinforcing harmful stereotypes which contribute to civilian women's abuse. Yeah, see, I don't see what's offensive about that. It's like, don't be racist and don't be misogynistic. 
oh my god that's so offensive like what no no right i think a lot of the anger came from sex workers who were accusing fds of blaming them for like men's depraved sexual desires yeah yeah, exactly but the thing is though they create the demand as well it's 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 a cycle, you know, you know, men demand it, they provide it. And the men, you know, demand it some more, they, they're happy to continue providing it. So, you know, they are complicit, you know, whilst we're not saying that they, that they invented, you know, racism, paedophilia and incest, they do, they are complicit in, in... Catering to those desires, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and essentially normalising it in sexual activity. So a couple of different angles of criticism that we got from sex workers were either like, oh, it's just fantasy and you can't compare fantasy to reality and these types of things have no effect on real women. And we posted a lot of uh, different studies that showed that, yes, in fact, that porn is regularly depicting uh, criminal sexual activity as heteronormative practice, meaning like they're they're normalizing what would be criminal sexual activity. That's stuff like creep shots, that's stuff like rape, that's stuff like uh, pedophilic uh, grooming, uh, stuff like obviously misogyny, um, and also racism. And we've seen stuff like, uh, I think we, you mentioned this in a couple podcasts ago about how there was, uh, during the Trump administration, this surge in the ICE uh, detains migrant worker porn, um, which is particularly horrific because a lot of women in, in ICE custody did get raped, were raped by ICE agents. It's horrible. So this tweet is calling to task sex work Twitter saying, you are contributing to these dehumanizing stereotypes of women by entertaining these kinds of quote unquote fantasies. And that's actually part of the reason why sex work gets stigmatized is because content like this is actually quite offensive you, you're you're making light of what is actually a, a horrific situation for people in ICE custody, and uh, and when they say it's fantasy, it's like, well, whose fantasy are you catering to? Racist old white men? Like, it's actually quite disturbing that they're just so dismissive of the themes and the content of this um, as just fantasy, or saying like, well, men are demanding it, so that's why we're making it. And I'm like, well, then I don't feel like you're you're actually supporting other women by making light of what is a crime. I mean, like, to give an example, like I talked a few podcasts ago, how my first sexual experiences were literally, you know, porn was the classroom where I'd sit, you know, I was 14. I was dating a 16 year old guy. He'd been watching porn for years. He showed me, he showed me some videos and yeah, they were, they were pretty violent. And I remember seeing that and he said, this is sex. This is what I want to do. This is what, this is what, uh, he didn't say like this is heteronormative practice, but that was what he's implying, right? And so that, I just think it's uh, it's dark, really, that a lot of young girls are getting these kinds of narratives and are thinking like that is what sex is supposed to be, and it's not healthy intimacy. I don't think we should be teaching people that, right? And to be clear, we're not blaming desperation survival sex workers. We're we're blaming like OnlyFans, like a specific group of sex workers who choose this profession and want to normalize it and get like really aggy about people on Twitter that are critical of this and call everybody a swerf and a conservative Christian or whatever. That's essentially who we're criticizing. A lot of the women who are the most more marginalized and don't have a choice aren't the ones that you're seeing in like the porn of this. It mostly seems like women who are, they're young women, sure, but a lot of them they're choosing this because they think it's going to give them some kind of like fame or recognition or fortune. I have more to add to that, but I want to, I want to get through the tweets first because I don't think it's just that they're choosing it to, to be 
like there is a lot of a lot of that behavior is informed by trauma but i i'll get to that later once we once we get through the tweets tweet number two uh, insist that your regular clients disclose to any women in their life that they use your services. The culture of silence from sex workers is unfair to other women as they are being robbed of their choice not to participate in a non-monogamous relationship. Yeah, so a lot of sex workers saw that and were like, oh my god, how preposterous. Like, why would I ever do that? <laughs> right? But that's the thing. That's the problem. By That reaction itself is problematic, right? Um, it's true that a lot of sex workers would never obviously tell their clients wives because that would put them in danger so that's a good point but at the same time like by acknowledging oh if i do the right thing i'm in danger that's itself it's like an emperor has no clothes moment where you're pointing out that this thing was not actually okay to begin with and and you can't say that you're pro woman if you're willing to look the other way when because a lot of sex workers say oh um you know men talk about their wives and you know girlfriends and relationships a lot of them in the thread were making out like you know how am I supposed to know this but in the same breath they'll be saying you know we hear a lot about people's relationships a lot of them liken themselves to therapists they actually say like I'm like a therapist exactly e- exactly and and they're putting other women's health at risk like especially in terms of things like HPV um, a lot of sex workers they don't like they don't ask for for STI or STD tests from their clients and you can't get tested for HPV so they are literally putting other women at risk and even in cases of where it's not even physical like in real life sex work where it's just online you know cam girls only fans that kind of stuff even in that like we see on subreddits like porn free relationships and stuff where women talk all the time about how porn and only fans and how their boyfriend messaging girls on OnlyFans is taking away from their sex life or is making them feel bad about themselves. And so even in cases where STDs are not a risk, it's still harming women. 100%. And it it also begs the question, if, you know, sex work is work like they say, then why is it so controversial to expect? Like ethical boundaries. I mean, all professions have like a, a code of honor or like a code of ethics. And so I don't see why... Like, if, in fact, sex work is a legitimate profession, I don't see any reason why there can't be a code of ethics associated with it. The main point of this tweet to me was just pointing out the hypocrisy of their business model being based on them helping uh, men to hide their discretionary activities from other women who they know in their life would not accept it and coddling their egos when they... Uh, tell them stuff like my wife at home is a bitch or a harpy or whatever. Like, and these women exist to validate a lot of that shit, even if they don't actually believe it. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of sex workers will be like, oh my gosh, yes. Like your wife is such a harpy bitch. And so that's creating like a feedback loop where the man says, oh, I'm I'm like, he'll lie to the sex worker and then she'll validate the lie. And then he'll go back to his wife and be like, you're a harpy bitch. Like (laughs) other women are saying so. Exactly. So that's one of those things where let's just be transparent about what their business model is. Their business model is to cater to the ego's wants, needs and of men, no matter how depraved and no matter how dehumanizing to the subject. You know, obviously they were up in arms over tweet one where we suggested could you not make dehumanizing content? And they took a real issue with that. Um, it's not like just a simple exchange of sex. It's a constant coddling of everything a man wants and they don't want to have to draw boundaries as as you can tell from their reaction to our tweet series. They don't want other women to have any boundaries about it. Yeah. 
Or they don't they don't think that the women in the relationships with these men deserve to have any boundaries. It's because though the entire sex work industry thrives off women just having a lack of boundaries. That's the reason why they reacted so badly to it. You know, having ethics and and you know boundaries is incompatible with the sex industry. Yeah. It it is that's exactly it because the sex industry is unethical. So asking them to have any boundaries or ethics around it in fact, seems ridiculous. Like deep down, they know that it's that it's impossible because it is inherently unethical. And so having ethical boundaries sounds absurd. Yeah, because the, the product they're selling is the dehumanization and disrespect. Yes. I think they don't want to admit that. So that's why they go into the narrative of I'm a, a therapist. But when you ask men why they visit a lot of these women, it's specifically because they don't have to respect them as people, right? Because they're an object to them. And a lot of times they know the stuff they're doing is fucked up. And they're like, well, I would never do this to my wife. Like, because they want, they want the experience of being able to feel a certain way at the expense of women. And to not care about them. You know, they say like, you know, you pay um, a prostitute to leave. That's why you pay her. Yeah, that's that's the business model. So, yeah. Um, Three, stop lobbying against legal protections for women who were involuntarily coerced into participating in sex work because you may personally lose money. Please support and prioritize the safety of women and children first over the expansion of the industry. Ooh, there's a lot to say here. This also has a history of entanglements with FDS versus sex work Twitter, uh, which started actually during the the lockdown where uh, sex workers started lobbying the media. And there was a couple of media pieces that we critiqued where they were saying that they were essential workers. Oh, my God. And that they should... <laughs> exactly my reaction where I'm like, um, your business model is actually very, very incompatible with the fact that we all have to stay home as to not spread disease if your business model relies on customer contact, like physical customer contact, therefore you are not in compliance with COVID. And also you're not a necessary profession because literally nobody's going to die if they don't get their penis tug. And no one's entitled to sex as well. So you're not, it's not essential that you have sex. It reminds me of like, Christians were being angry, like, um, oh, so you're saying church is an essential service, but abortion is? Yes, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> so there is there is some clap back from people around that that was like, oh, you guys don't care about sex workers. Oh, you hate women. Oh, this is misogynist. And it's like, no, your profession is literally going to spread disease and there's nothing essential about your service, period. Like men will be okay if they don't get their penises wet for like a couple of months. Well, I guess a year, it turned out. But at the time, we didn't know how long it would be. I, I just want to say like, it's, it's ridiculous. I really am against this premise that that they're perpetuating that sex is a need just like oxygen or food. It's not like people acting like, Oh, sex is a basic need for all living things. No, it's not. (laughs) A lot of animals in nature will go through their their entire lives, not mating. Uh, Like a lot of male animals, especially they'll go through their entire lives, not mating. And they, they're not like dropping dead. Right. A lot of humans don't have sex and they're fine. Yeah. Like, are you really telling me that, like, all these monks in monasteries, all these, like, nuns in convents throughout history, they were just, like, <laughs> just, like, dropping dead here in front? They're on the verge of death. On the verge of death their entire lives because they're not getting laid? Like, nah. Yeah. So, sis, slow your roll. The second entanglement with FDS and sex work Twitter was, obviously, we've been very uh, vocal in our... Uh, disdain for the porn industry. And there's been a few people who have been really instrumental in 
putting the spotlight on uh, on tube sites like uh, X Videos and Pornhub, and one of them being Layla Micklewaite, which we hope to God we can get her on the podcast one day. Um, but she was really instrumental. She went after Pornhub, uh, started highlighting all the ways in which they were not responding to women who were being trafficked, how they had had child pornography on their site. Um, how they had had uh, rape on their site from women who had documented it was rape and how unresponsive and unsympathetic they were to women who were involuntarily posted on their site. And there was a, a New York Times article that came out that did a profile of a lot of these girls, some of which um, who were um, underage, who were taking pictures for their boyfriend. And some of them, uh, they didn't take the pictures. Their boyfriend might've snapped it of them, um, when they were having sex with them and then uploaded it to the tube sites and how the entire process of trying to get it removed, you know, only replicated. And now forever and ever their lives have been affected by the fact that they have sexual imagery of them, um, on the internet against their will. So sex work Twitter came out when these, when Pornhub was trying to restructure their, business model and get rid of all this rape and and uh and involuntary porn and created this conspiracy that this was some kind of christian right-wing conspiracy against them and they started doxing and harassing some of the women who came forward in the piece they were explicitly going after them and saying that oh changing this is going to affect our revenue this is just another way for them to criminalize sex workers and and basically prioritizing their own pockets over the fact that a lot of people are feeling it's far past time for uh, Pornhub and the other tube sites to try and uh, mitigate the type of content they put on their site. So that was a thing that did happen. They were very, it was blue check sex work Twitter. So it wasn't just like random anonymous people. It was prominent sex workers on Twitter who were attacking Layla Micklewaite, who were attacking uh, uh, Nick Kristoff. And he was the author of the um, he was attacking the author of the New York Times article about um, the involuntary porn on Pornhub. And um, to me, they're a part of the problem. They're basically saying that like, oh, this is going to affect the way that we make money. So you guys can't do this because haha, what about us? Right. And so this tweet was taking issue with the fact that uh, they've gone from just like advocating from basic protection for sex workers to this entitlement from this idea that we have to expand this industry, no matter how many other people it hurts to expand the industry. Yeah. That reminds me a lot. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, um, in Canada, we have the oil industry. There's mainly in Alberta. And so Albertans have this weird, like pro oil culture because a lot of them work in the oil industry. And so <laughs> whenever there's any kind of environmental protection, like, Hey, maybe we shouldn't like make the world, <laughs> maybe we should fight climate change. Every single one of them, like there's this whole culture of like hating environmentalism in Alberta because they personally might lose money. And so, yeah, I just want to tell these people, like, just because you personally might lose money does not mean that these, you know, you gotta, you gotta take a step back, look at the bigger picture have a bird's eye view of the thing. It's not just you personally being affected. Like it's affecting other people as well. Yeah. They've become, they're basically capitalists. And some of these people I suspect are sock puppet accounts of pimps basically, or men, but like for the ones that were legit, like blue check verified, it's been very clear that it stopped being about protecting women in the sex industry and started being about protecting the almighty dollar and the ability for these women to make money. And no industry has the right to make money at the expense of anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> Sex industry, oil industry, doesn't matter what industry you're in, 
if it's hurting other people, there deserves to be regulation. Even if the people working in that industry might lose money, that's life. But they don't want to accept that. And so they've, they've now considered a lot of these things a crusade. And they'll even make fun of us for being like, oh, like you only, you care about for the children. Like they'll put it in air quotes. Like they'll make fun of you. Like, oh, you're doing this quote for the children, but actually you just hate sex workers. Like why is the idea of child safeguarding become a thing that people think is okay to mock? Like how can you, how can you make fun of that and not realize you're the baddie? They, they tie it to right-wing Christian conservatism, and so then they can just say anything that's associated with that is bad, rather than taking it as merit by merit, argument by argument. Yeah, it's such a lazy argument. I see this all the time. It's like, oh, you're saying something that reminds me of like right-wing Christian alt-right people, and therefore you're exactly like them. It's just they're, they're, all they're doing is just othering anyone they disagree with, and it's just making it easy for them to reject any kind of criticism, even legitimate criticism. Anyways, next tweet. Tweet number four. Please respect the anonymity of women who speak out against the sex industry but don't want their identity to be publicly disclosed. Don't put them in danger by attempting to dox or silence them or smear their reputation as part of uh, some conspiracy group, which just goes back to what we said before, is that they were trying to dox some of these uh, girls and women who were being anonymous as part of the Pornhub story. But for a profession that prides itself on discretion and even in places where it's legal, like the UK, you'll find a lot of sex workers choose to be anonymous. It's absolutely abhorrent that they would be doxing these women. Doxing victims of child porn. Like, that's so fucked up. Especially when they are raging. They start raging and freaking out if clients dox them. That's what really opened my eyes to like, okay, this is entire feminist argument is actually being pushed by big porn because they tip their hand by being too transparent in their capitalist interests over the interest of the most vulnerable people in society, which actually does include sex workers at the bottom portion of society, as well as like just regular everyday women, civilian women who get caught up in porn because of involuntary pornography and rape and things like that. So their masks started to come off during the pandemic, it started to dawn on a bunch of uh, us at FDS who've tangled with sex workers, even on Reddit or sex work Twitter, that a lot of the arguments that they're making that are supposed to be quote unquote pro-feminist are really just trying to groom new women into the porn industry to protect their own capitalist interest and to uh, expand their client base. It's just an industry. Yeah. We talk all the time on the subreddit about how people cloak misogyny with like woke, you know, appropriating social justice language to oppress women. And, you know, misogyny is woke now, uh, you know, oppressing women is woke now or is progressive. And so this is just an ex- another example of that, like big porn appropriating feminism to advance their own, you know, industrial interests. And then, and then a lot of these women on Twitter who are, you know, the blue check, whatever Twitter, they're like, they're complicit in that. They're like, uh, the Serena Joys or the, the Aunt Lydia's, you know, for those of you who watch the, the Handmaid's Tale, they're the people within the system who are like a step up above, you know, the handmaidens or the other women. And so they want to maintain their position of re- relative privilege, I guess, or whatever tiny crumbs that they get from the patriarchy. They want to hold on to that. And so they dunk on other women. Uh, to make themselves, to, to, I guess, elevate themselves. So there's nothing feminist about it. Like, don't be fooled. So moving on to tweet five, uh, if you want to talk about your profession publicly, please fully disclose the hazards of the job, as well as acknowledging when your privilege affords you atypical opportunities. Help civilian women considering sex work make a fully informed choice. 
Yeah, this was the tweet. That was the tweet that made me kind of look at myself and realize that I've been guilty of that as well. Like on the BDSM polyamory episode, I said something along the lines of like, oh, like those six months of the sugar baby was the, some of the best times of my life referring to things like the luxury travel stuff. And in hindsight, I now realize it's pretty irresponsible of me to say that. And so I want to take the opportunity in this, in this episode of the podcast to sort of clarify some of those statements, talk about some of the other drawbacks that I didn't talk about in that episode to give a more complete picture of any like girls listening so that they know that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. So we'll, we'll wrap up a tweet six and then we can go into your story. Uh, so a t- tweet six, finally, remember that supporting women is a two way street. The expansion of the sex industry harms many more women than it helps. So those of you who've managed to build a successful platform, be sure to center marginalized women in conversations with your clients. Um, this pushing back on the idea that all sex workers are marginalized. There's more like women who are in the porn industry who are household names than a, a lot of other industries at this point. Um, and they don't use their platform to talk about marginalized, actually marginalized sex workers, like women who would otherwise be homeless if it was not for, or, or who are homeless um, if it was not for sex work. And the reason I say that is um, it seems like this group has been co-opting the victim language of truly marginalized people in order to never take responsibility for their content. Like just kicking it back to tweet one where they act like they have no agency over the content they produce. And when it's clearly a choice for a lot of these women, <laughs> it's like there was this one dominatrix that went off on us um, she had an article where she talks about being in grad school and then like losing her, a, a professor withdrew from recommending her because she found out that she was doing dominatrix work on the side. And she's like, well, I had to, cause I had to pay my bills, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it came across to me, like, do you know, you're not the only person that's ever had bills, like, or you're not the only person who's ever had to take, you know what I'm saying? Like take time off to work. There's a lot of people who didn't have the opportunity to go to school in the first place, but the way that they use the language as if like they were forced into sex work by economic circumstances when for most of them, like they made a conscious choice to do that to me, like is a way for them to not take responsibility for the content they produce or the choices that they make. Right. And they, and they compare themselves to women who are on the streets, a lot of whom came from foster care, um, women who are, are generally in sex work, especially street sex work, they're basically the working homeless. Um, men's rights activists, uh, subreddits and groups always make a big deal about the fact that 70, 80% of men on the street are homeless. Uh, the homeless are men, but that's because most of the women get into sex work, get into prostitution specifically and end up, uh, having places to sleep off the street because it's very dangerous to sleep on the street. So they'll sleep, you know, uh, in John's houses, or they'll, they'll make enough money to just have a place to put over the roof of their head. But essentially, they have the same kind of social issues or personal issues that prohibit them from getting gainful employment, like a lot of the homeless men do, which is primarily mental illness, a lot of emotional trauma, a lot of these kids came from the foster care system, a lot of them are addiction, yes, chronically uh, ill. And so a lot of these people get into sex work because of issues that they have that prevent them from getting other types of gainful employment. I do not like that this group of choosy choice sex workers who choose this as a profession are appropriating the language of marginalized people and then not platforming those marginalized people because it would probably cause them to lose work if they actually did. Cause it's not sexy to think about like uh, a drugged out uh, uh, former foster kids who are acting out their emotional trauma because they were so traumatized by their, uh, by their birth parents or, or being in the system. And so this tweet is basically pointing out that hypocrisy of just saying, 
Listen, there's a bunch of sex workers that have like 100K followers on Twitter, millions on on OnlyFans, a bunch on Pornhub, on TikTok, and none of them talk about truly marginalized women. They don't because it it fuck up their business model. It's actually worse than just not talking about marginalized women. They do talk about marginalized women, but they only do it in a way that is self-serving. And so I think it's very insulting to see a lot of these women who are making, you know, tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars on OnlyFans months on the month on OnlyFans a month, you know, like the top 0.1% of OnlyFans. Um, you know, comparing themselves to, you know, Thai women who were kidnapped off the side of the street to be sold as like a quote unquote wife to like a Chinese billionaire or whatever, or comparing themselves to say like, you know, uh, brothels in Bangladesh or whatever, like these two things are not the same thing. So it's not only that they're not centering marginalized women, they're actually exploiting marginalized women by using their stories to escape criticism and escape accountability. And as a way of, perpetuating that industry that oppresses those marginalized women. So I actually think it's not, and and so a lot of people will say on the subreddit, oh, like a lot of these even privileged sex workers are doing it because uh, of trauma. Like maybe they were molested when they were a kid or like, you know, economic um, coercion, like that kind of stuff. Here's the thing, like it's possible to be exploited and also to still be an asshole. Yeah. (laughs) Facts. I had this line on the subreddit that people seem to like a lot where it's possible for it to be someone who is exploited and also be an asshole. Being an asshole doesn't mean they're not exploited, but being exploited doesn't make you not an asshole, right? Like if you're exploited and you're doing harmful shit, you're still responsible for it. And the reason why this makes me so angry is because I've heard this line from people who have abused me in the past where they will say like, like ex-boyfriends or whatever being like, Oh, I had a hard childhood or, you know, I've been through this and Oh, I had a bad day, that kind of stuff. Like abusive people will literally say like, I am doing this because I was traumatized too. And that doesn't make it okay. Right? Like it's when you're using your own abuse or your own trauma as a way of perpetuating abuse against other people, that needs to be called out. That is not an excuse. That is actually something that needs to be, uh, that's actually even more of a reason to hold them accountable. You said it perfectly, Lola. Thank you. So these tweets, this series of tweets actually got me to think about myself and my own experience and thinking about how I've done some of those things as well. But before I go into that story, a quick, (laughs) a quick message from our sponsor. Some of these things are so painful to think about. Like, it's actually crazy how the brain will block out certain negative memories just to sort of like help you get through the day, (laughs) you know? And so when I, when I look back on the sugar baby stuff, but side note, like some people think that being a sugar baby isn't sex work. Um, I think it is sex work. Uh, a lot of sugar babies will even say like, I'm not a prostitute. Like, um, my sugar daddy pays for the privilege of my company. And if we have sex, uh, it's because I want to, and not because he's paying me to have sex with him. And that's a complete lie. Like, uh, I can, speaking from personal experience, like, you know, when I, you know, when you're with a sugar daddy, you, you don't have the option of saying no. Um, And that's one of the first negative thing I wanted to talk about is it's very unsettling, actually, to be in a quote unquote relationship with someone where you do not have the option of saying no. It would be like you see these marriages where the man wants to have sex every day, but the woman, for whatever reason, doesn't want to because she either is not feeling emotional intimacy or whatever reason. Right. She's she doesn't want to have sex. He wants to have sex. So he wants to compel her to have sex. A sugar baby relationship 
a sugar baby sugar daddy relationship is one of those relationships where she is compelled to have sex, whether she wants to or not. And so I actually get really annoyed when I see other sugar babies being like, Oh no, I can say no if I want, or, you know, this is my choice or I'm only having sex if I want to, I'm not a prostitute. That is a complete fucking lie. And it's actually dishonest to tell other girls that because young girls are going into that thinking that that's what the expectation is. And then they're confronted with the male clientele that they don't see it that way. Like they, they think that they're paying for sex and if you don't give them sex, they will fucking rape you. So I don't think that that is a responsible narrative to be spreading. So yeah, that's, that's the first thing I wanted to say is that, um, first of all, every single time I had to have, every single time I had to have sex with my sugar daddy, I had to be drunk because he was old and he was repulsive to me. And it was just impossible for me to, um, to, you know, I had to get the beer goggles on. Right. And of course, like 19 year old me was like, Oh, like free alcohol. Like I had to get sloppy drunk every single time we had to fuck. And the thing is, is he actually really loved that. Like he specifically enjoyed the me being sloppy drunk and having sex with me. And cause there were some days where like the next day I'd be like, Oh, really? I'm really sorry. Like I got like way too drunk last night. You know, that's was irresponsible of me. And he said, um, <sighs> I'm actually like cringing and it's hard for me to say this out loud because he would re quote unquote reassure me by saying that, Oh no, I actually love it when you get sloppy drunk like that. In fact, I have this fantasy, you know, every time I go out and I see all these like, you know, college age, like young, beautiful American girls getting, you know, super drunk. I always fantasize about being able to like pick one of them up and like date rape them. He didn't use the word date rape, but that's what he's describing. He's describing like, I would love to be able to pick up a drunk tourist and have sex with her when she's sloppy drunk and won't remember and take advantage of her. And so like the fact that he told me like, that is his kink, that is his fantasy. And he, liked the fact that he could act out that fantasy without any consequences with me. Side note, like I'm not American. I'm Canadian. That's the most, that's the most offensive thing in all of this is they called me American when I'm Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but, um, Hey, so, I don't blame you. It's pretty trash over here right now. Yeah, not so, all the time, but right now specifically. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, <laughs> sorry, but if people think it's inappropriate that I'm laughing, I don't know. I use you. I use humor to sort of get through the trauma. Um, but yeah, anyway, so, so I use humor to cope with trauma. So when people say I'm funny, I'm like, ah, that's cause I'm dying inside. No, I'm kidding. Anyways. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, he told me like, oh no, I actually love when you get sloppy drunk because it's my fantasy to like pick up drunk tourist women and like date rate them. And so I'm glad that I can do that and pay for your silence. Like, you know, so, and the, the fuck, it's very fucking predatory. And that, that's what I mean about like, um, you know, when in the tweet that said, stop making content that, um, you know, normalizes things like rape or abuse or misogyny and that kind of stuff. Like it's really embarrassing for me to look back. And when he told me that I thought that was a compliment. Like that's what I, that's what I'm referring to when I'm saying your porn type. Like when a guy says that your porn, that you are his porn type, that is not a compliment to you personally. That's like a statement of his own depravity. And it is fucked up to participate in that and to be complicit in that. And I'm sure a lot of sex workers, if they hear this, they'll think like, Oh, like you're actually doing a service because, um, it, by having sex with you when you quote unquote consented and, you know, then he's not going to be out there doing that to like women in real life. 
I mean, first of all, there's no guarantee that he wasn't actually doing this to women in real life. He probably was. <laughs> you know, it happens all the time. Like, drunk tourists getting picked up by men and being, you know, like, fuck. In some cases, there was that woman um, in Australia who got, like, strangled by, because she was a tourist and she got picked up uh, and, she, and she died. So, like, this kind of, like, you know, th- these sorts of things do happen and it doesn't always end well. In fact, a lot of times it does end very badly for, for women, right? So... I'm embarrassed to look back on that and realize that I was complicit in that. Um, so what are some, yeah, so what are, there's other things that happen like sexually that that's like too hard to think about, but <laughs> that I won't get into, but that was the main one that I wanted to draw attention to. Um, but anyways, I have some notes here. Um, I wanted to talk about like coping and how so much of the lies that we sort of tell ourselves about these things and how the brain sort of tricks you into being okay and adapting to unpleasant situations. Like for example, um, when we had our Disney episode, there were a lot of people commenting how beauty and the beast originally was a story from like the 17th century that was told to, um, you know, aristocratic girls who were about to be married off to old men as a way of helping them, you know, they see themselves as some heroine who's putting up with a beast for the sake of her dad. And so it's the, we tell ourselves these fantasies or these stories as a way of sort of making ourselves okay with the way the, with the fact that we're in a fucked up situation or the fact that the world is fucked up. Right. And so that's what, it, when we're talking, when we at FDS are calling out these narratives, what we call narratives, media narratives, propaganda, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about these sort of stories that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel good about something bad. Like just because we tell ourselves a story about something bad to make ourselves feel good about it doesn't mean that it's good. It's like, it's actually very Orwellian. Like, you know, it's not, the, it's not the bad thing that's bad. It's the way we think about the bad thing that's bad. So if we change the way that we think about the bad thing, that will make the bad thing good, which is not how reality works. Right. It's, and what's disappointing about it is how much of it is coming from so-called feminist media. I would expect that from media that was run by men or fairly neutral, but I've seen prominent feminists push these narratives and you have to wonder like where their motivations are. I mean, we're, we're at the point now where we have to argue against feminists. We're focused on the idea that the sex offender registry isn't fair to men who are on it. And I'm like, why is this a feminist concern, right? Like who, who dropped in and created all these boundaries and rules about what feminism should be that so often seems to be cope or not actually beneficial to women. And you can't help but feel that there's like either male mouthpieces behind this, or they're just pick me's that basically take everything that men say at face value and then rationalize it similar to like the beauty and the beast story. Yeah. And so a good example of this for any listeners here, I really recommend going on YouTube and looking up Dr. Romney. The title of this video is how does being with a narcissist affect your body, mind, and soul? And even though it's about narcissism, I think what she describes in this video is very apt at describing how your body and your mind responds to any kind of like abuse or unpleasant situation. And so in this video, she talks about how the mind is very flexible. It will rationalize and make excuses and go through all these crazy mental gymnastics when you're going through something traumatic as a way of making yourself feel okay about it. But the thing is the body is more honest And so your trauma will manifest itself as physical illness. And then the soul, she talks about the soul, the idea of the soul, the psyche, you know, some people are critical about the idea of a soul to begin with, but what she refers to the soul is 
your sort of essential self. And she talks about how the soul will respond. It's it's also honest in some ways like the body, but it's also dishonest in some ways like the mind. And how the soul, when you're enduring a traumatic experience, you will lose authenticity. You will lose your essential self to force yourself to adapt to a bad situation. And so that's really what I see a lot in sex work Twitter is that they're so fucking phony. That's really what it is, is they are... (sighs) They lose authenticity. Someone pointedly uh, wrote on the subreddit about how a lot of it is just because they're trying to get money. So they have to present the image of the fantasy so that men will want to be with them. And I, I even saw a sex uh, sex worker on Twitter who didn't like our uh, our big dick episode, <laughs> who was like, all di- it was, she basically made an all dicks matter argument and it was like, it's not okay to body shame men and that like little dicks are just can be just as good as medium sized dicks or curved dicks or whatever. And I was like, I know you have to say that you like all types of dicks so that men will purchase your services, but I find it hard to believe you have zero penis preferences. If you've been fucking a lot of guys, you have got to have some preferences there, but you know, it messes up their business model to admit that. So they have to pretend that like I can take any dick anywhere. They're in denial, right? Like that's exactly it. They're they're in denial about their situation because they're in a business where you're not allowed to have any choice. You're not allowed to say no because you're getting money for it. So you have to be okay with whatever. Um, And so you tell yourself like, oh, I actually love all of this. I don't have any preferences. You you almost like compensate for the fact that you don't have any choices by saying this is my choice. It's very, like I said, it's very Orwellian. Um, But anyways, so, but back to the mind, body, soul comparison. Um, and so, yeah, like the fucked up thing is like in the moment, you don't even realize that you're being traumatized. Like, like I said, 19 year old me was like, Oh, like free alcohol. Like, you know, I don't even realize that I'm, I'm doing things that I'm going to be paying for emotionally later. Um, and so what happened after that is like, after the sugar baby experience, I just, I fell into a really deep depression and was very, I had a lot of like anxiety and was having panic attacks. I started binge eating. And so I gained a lot of weight. You know, I talked about weight. I talk about weight loss, weight gain and stuff on the subreddit a lot. And I'm I'm not saying that to shame other women. It's, it's informed by my own experiences, my own trauma in that like a lot of disordered eating that women have is caused by trauma. And it's something that, you know, it doesn't mean that we should be celebrating disordered eating. We should be acknowledging the trauma and, you know, uh, addressing the root cause. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I, g- I gained a ton of weight, you know, I was feeling like shit for like years after the fact. And so looking back on that, I'm asking myself, like, was those six months of luxury travel and having a nice apartment and designer purses and all that shit, was that worth like the years of therapy <laughs> and like subsequent abuse that I tolerated from men for years after the fact, was it worth it? No, absolutely not. Like in the moment it was fun, but then after the fact, you know, your body keeps score. There's a Gavin that, uh, was it Gavin DeBecker who wrote the body keeps score? Or is that a different one? I think that's a different author. Hold on a sec. Let me Google this. Gavin DeBecker wrote a different one. I think Bessel van der. Yeah. So the body keeps score brain, mind, and body in the healing of trauma by Bessel van der Kolk. So even if your mind is in denial about something, the body keeps score right? Like you end up internalizing that trauma, whether you are aware of it or not. And so everything I quote unquote got out of that experience, what I thought was glamorous or, you know, 
I, th- I thought I was like so much better and like owning my ex-boyfriend who wanted to do poly by doing this stuff. But, um, anything I got out of it, I paid back tenfold and, you know, therapy bills and putting up. And here's the thing, like in all of my subsequent relationships, I put up with so much shit for men because I thought I didn't deserve better. And, uh, and here's the thing. I was one of the privileged ones. The fact that I am even able to afford therapy is itself privilege. There's so many former sex workers walking around out there with unresolved trauma who don't even know that they're walking around with unresolved trauma. And that pain is manifesting itself in other ways. Could be worse. You could be American and like not have any health care. Yeah, true. Like, so, <laughs> so yeah, it definitely could be worse. <laughs> We're so horrible. <laughs> but no, even in Canada, therapy is not free. Like you mentioned in another episode, how like dentists are luxury bones, luxury bones, luxury bones, teeth. Yeah. No, we have the same thing in Canada. Like dental care is not included and farm, uh, drugs like pharmaceuticals are not included in our health plan. Right. So all of those. Oh, we get free. Oh, we get free therapy in the UK. That's the one thing that we've won against Canada and the US. Yeah, I hate you. No, no, kidding. I, <laughs> I want what you have. So I want anything at all. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up having to pay out of pocket to just sort of get my shit together mentally, emotionally, and the, like. And I was lucky that maybe not lucky. I don't know because I had a good paying job at the time. So. um but yeah, like, like that's a privilege that a lot of people are not afforded. And so a lot of them don't go to therapy and they just walk around with this unresolved trauma and find the, all these ways of coping. And a lot of times their coping mechanisms end up harming other women. That's what I mean about these fantasies and these um, fairy tales that we tell ourselves to cope with our trauma. When we go on social media and say, oh, like being a sugar baby is great. And like, look at my amazing luxury apartment and look at all my traveling experience. Oh my gosh, I love this. Like, but not mentioning that you're letting like gross men like fuck you in the ass and you have to be drunk every single time. Like that's, that's like a dark reality that most people don't want to acknowledge on social media. Um, and I don't blame them for not wanting to share it because it's hard to think about. A lot of people have a hard time even thinking about it in the first place. Like even me, I had to think long and hard if I even wanted to talk about this. But I decided it was worth it in the end. Um, oh, and the other, another privilege I want to point is I only had one John. Like, all of this, all of this tra- trauma that happened in the years after that was after one man. One man caused that trauma. So I can't even fathom how much worse it would be for some women out there who are seeing more than one John a day for, like, months or years even, right? And how much worse it must be for, for women who have it worse off than me. My advice for teenage girls out there who are, you know, on YouTube or or TikTok and are seeing these girls flaunt their sugar baby lifestyle is that that's only half of the narrative. There's the other half, which is the reality that they're not saying, don't do it. It's not fucking worth it. In the moment you think it's awesome, but you don't even know that you're going to be paying for it later. And the, ha- and the house always wins. That's the other part of this narrative. And you've kind of seen that happen in the last 10 to 15 years is there's been a bunch of these uh, prominent porn stars or sex workers who have gone on like, for lack of a better term, like a hoe redemption tour where like after they're done with their quote unquote career, they come out and then admit about how much horrific shit they were putting up with behind closed doors and then sort of repaint the narrative to show where they were exploited and how they were victimized. And that's been people like Holly Madison and Mia Khalifa and Jenna Jameson, people who were really big porn stars in the nineties, early two thousands 
And then they start to go to therapy and unpack how they ended up in the sex industry. And you find out from people like Holly Madison that like Hef was docking their pay so they wouldn't save money, like all the control he had over their lives. And you have to understand that this entire industry is run by men. So you can't win in an industry that is made for and by men because the house always wins. So as much as like a lot of these women feel like the the money they're making now is going to be okay, like patriarchy finds a way to reinforce itself. Whether that means that later later you can't find a job because you did this porn or uh, you're, able, you're never able to save money because uh, someone like Hef takes like most of your savings that like by the time you leave, you're still as penniless as, as you were uh, when you came into the Playboy Mansion. Mia Khalifa has been complaining about the fact that these other companies own her images. She has no control over all of her images that she did porn in. And specifically, she wore a hijab during some of it which caused a couple of different countries to ban her, a couple of Muslim countries to outright ban her. So she can't even go to visit family and friends in Muslim countries anymore. So it's one of those things where the lure of the money and the temporary glamour is just, a, it's just bait. It's a bait to get you on a hook that's going to like eat you up and chew you out. And I don't know that that's capable of changing as long as men are the primary customer base, which they likely always will because of how much more motivated they are by this stuff. And as long as men control the industry, which so far they always have. When Layla Micklewait published all the executives behind Pornhub, every single one of them, some like middle-aged gross looking scrot. They're all men, OnlyFans the same. Um, yeah, the owners of the biggest porn sites. Um, yeah, yeah, the money trail always goes back to men, always. And even, I think, you, do you remember when Pornhub had an account that was like Pornhub Katie and everyone assumed it was a woman? Apparently it was run by a man. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. They just put a woman so it wouldn't seem as horrific. Because some of the stuff that account would come out with, it was very, 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 very anti-woman. Um, and I think it came out a few years ago that it was actually a man. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. They were going on on Reddit specifically and discrediting people who were talking about the traffic on the site prior to Layla Micklewaite really getting involved in the fight against Pornhub. Reddit literally had like Pornhub crawlers that would go there and then try to call all the people who were talking about the involuntary porn liars. Again, it was it was pretty transparent. It's fucked up to me that people managed to like Pornhub had a for a while there had a reputation as like a wholesome company, right? And so this narrative of like the the porn site with the heart of gold is uh it's just marketing it's it's just lies it's just brainwashing and so that's what i think about whenever i see these women talking about like the oh i'm like the only fans girl the sugar baby with the heart of gold and everything's so wholesome and fun and amazing and and knowing that that's part of the manipulation and just and even like with sex work i think you know what you so for example, like what you were saying uh, about the house always winning, it's also the narrative that sex workers work for themselves. You know, I can make X amount of money in, um, you know, I can make, you know, what was it? Like, what did, what did one of them say? Like, I can make in a week what you make in four years. All sorts of... Oh, yeah. One of our mods did the math on that and was like, the median US income is like 30000 a year. And so you're really saying you make $120,000 a week? Like, that's $6 million six million a year like that's not nobody <laughs> makes that much money from sex exactly. work except for porn site owners exactly exactly and it's almost like an mlm you know recruitment propaganda because because it's like again but you're not really working for yourself though are they you're working for men the mlm is a great comparison actually OnlyFans is literally an mlm and so you have to understand a lot of these women who are going there 
It's a pyramid scheme. It literally is a pyramid scheme. So all these women going on saying, oh my gosh, like, look all this money I made from OnlyFans. It's exactly the same as all those people being like, oh my gosh, look at this mansion I bought because I work for Amway. You know, like, sign up for my code. Like, all these OnlyFans chicks will say, like, oh, make sure to sign up for my co- with using my code or something like that. And they make money from anyone who signs up with that code, right? So it's important to understand these financial incentives. You know, when you're financially incentivized to do something like that, it's not always, uh, it's not always, uh, it's not always a good thing, but yeah. Anyways, but, but I, I want to go back a bit to some of the responses because what the, what I was shocked to see is how many women were saying like, Oh, you just hate sex workers. Like, oh, you're just othering sex workers. You just think that you're better than us. Like, you're whorephobic. I, and so, what the fuck is whorephobic, by the way? This just seems like another made-up woke word that I have no idea what they're talking about. Like, what is whorephobic? What they're talking about when they say whorephobia is, like, they're talking about something that exists, but I think that their analysis of it is wrong. But we'll get into that later. Um But, like, they're saying, like, oh, you just hate sex workers. That's why you're criticizing the porn industry. And... It's, it's the opposite. I'm not othering them. I don't, I don't actually think that we're better than sex workers. Like I'd say the opposite, actually, like when I see a sex worker, I think she's not all that different from me, right? Like she's, she's one of my sisters. And so when FDS criticizes the sex industry, it's not because we think sex workers are subhuman. It's because we recognize their humanity. And so things like OnlyFans, the normalization of porn and sex work and all that, it's, traumatizing and it's weakening an entire generation of women and as feminists we need to fight this this is not something that is in women's best interest it seemed like they turned it around on us like we're dehumanizing them by having a problem with the dehumanizing porn and to be fair generally we attack men on this and generally like if you see our subreddit it's pretty much entirely us dragging the fuck out of men this is one of the rare tweets that we had addressed directly to sex workers. Like generally we critique men or we critique the way the media spins the narrative, but we have critiqued sex workers in the past. We think are basically engaging in dishonest practices that are contributing to these specific types of abuse. So that's, that's essentially their issue is that like the ones that can be held accountable and the ones that are choosing to do this, they have a problem with that. Again, like you said, it could be denial. It could be them acting out trauma. It, but I also think some of it, and actually we can verify that definitely some of it, has been from media grooming them to think like they're doing some kind of noble feminist fight by doing all this fucked up porn. And that is a really, really dangerous place for quote unquote feminism to be or, or the focus on female empowerment because you're never going to find, you're never going to find empowerment at the end of a man's penis. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> like, and the way that they keep trying to frame everything, like if we just become as sexual or if we use the male model of sexual, uh, expl- if we use the male model of how sexual expression should be, then we're making progress, not understanding that we are betraying ourselves every time we try to fit into a patriarchal idea of what women should be as sex objects right? Instead of focusing on what we want as women, how to, fo- how to focus our sexual wants and needs, they're focusing, uh, making every type of depravity that men like okay and mainstream and saying that like, if you criticize any of this, then you hate sex workers. That's what they're hiding behind. Because obviously if we say like, like we've said multiple times, 
look at the type of men who like to choke women out as sex and look at the type of men who are attracted to these abuse kinks. It's like, they're almost acting like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Like look at the pretty lady in the front who's telling you that you're like discriminating against her by like uh, criticizing this type of porn rather than under understanding that the reason why that we're criticizing this stuff is because we know the creeps that are behind it and why they are sexually attracted to this thing and what the long-term damage is of feeding women into this kind of machine for male depravity. Exactly. It's not dehumanizing to sex workers to be against the way that men are dehumanizing them. And they say all the time, like, oh, you're just hating on sex workers. You're never actually criticizing men. Bullshit. Like, if you know anything about us and what we do, we drag men all the fucking time. (laughs) You know who we are, right? What are you talking about? (laughs) You better look us up. Better do your research. (laughs) But at the same time, women are complicit in, in this. Yeah. And I also think like, it's so funny because there's different people who say like, they're unhappy with the amount that they, we criticize women. Like some will say that we should criticize women more, or some people will say we don't criticize women enough. Um, and so, yeah, like we don't believe in blaming women for everything. And we acknowledge that, uh, you know, patriarchy will often like often turn things around and like blame women for things that men do. But at the same time, we're kidding ourselves if we're pretending like, there's no such thing as women who are complicit in, in patriarchy. It's like the female equivalent of like an uncle Tom, right? Uh, you know, women like, uh, Gislaine Maxwell, for example, who are complicit and a lot of sex traffickers are women. Yeah. Are women like a lot of madams, like a lot of people who own these brothels in third world countries or whatever are women, even first world countries as well. They're women, even first world countries. Yeah. So Like, we're kidding ourselves if we're pretending like women are always innocent victims and are always above reproach. And have no agency. And And have no agency. And that's the thing I find so fucked up about this whole conversation is so many will be, oh, this is my choice. I'm doing this. This is empowering. And then the moment you try to hold them accountable for those quote unquote choices, they go, oh, I have no agency. I'm a victim. I'm marginalized and so on. So which is it? Yeah. I mean, both of those groups exist. It's just that the, the, the former group is co-opting the narrative of the latter group to avoid accountability rather than like, and, and they're not even having the courtesy, a lot of them to actually listen to the actual women or platform women who are actually marginalized. Yeah. Cause it doesn't fit their narrative. Right. So it's so, ugh, there's so many layers to this and it's so insidious and it's hard to have these conversations on the internet. Like it's impossible to have nuanced conversations on the internet. I don't know. Like with the, what is it? 280 character limit on Twitter. You know, yeah. <laughs> like you can't, you, you... our Twitter manager hung in there, but like, yeah, it's very hard to have this conversation in like a massive pile on, like it is on the Twitter. Um, and also explore the nuances like we are right now. Right. And that's why sometimes I think when we write stuff, it comes across like very blunt, right. And very cutting to people because you only have so many characters and we got to make a point. <laughs> Like, it annoys me when I write, like, I take the time, take a few hours to write, like, a multi-paragraph analysis of multiple angles and talk about different perspectives and and all that and take the time to really try to make it as nuanced as possible and to take different people's perspectives into account. And then it gets cross-posted to some of the FDS hate subs. Oh, you just hate sex workers. It's so fucking frustrating to see these... <laughs> being turned around on us. I don't know. The subreddits that are run by men, they obviously have a vested interest in misunderstanding this, misunderstanding what we're saying here. Yeah. They're committed to misunderstanding us. Yeah. Right. It's, it's deliberate. The other ones, I think it's just because it's, it's hard to have someone like us just like straight up put a torpedo through their entire worldview. That's been carefully crafted by media. 
right? So it's easy to just be like, oh, well, they're Swerfs, you know, or they're like, just put a label on it and not like actually understand the argument that we're making. But it actually is very, very concerning, the slow creeping, quote unquote, normalization of sex work that's happening. I've, I've even seen narratives that said that like, we have to support sex work to support like uh, people of color. Like this is the other thing that's been driving me kind of nuts about like the woke left in general. But a lot of times they put these like convoluted justifications for stuff. And then rather than having like an actual argument, they'll just like have it said by a person of color or have it said by an LGBTQ member. And then somehow that justifies itself. But a lot of times they're pushing things that actually might significantly hurt people of color or LGBTQ people, but they just like have, you know, people like that who may not know any better pair it with the ideas that they're saying and then say like, well, obviously this is going to help people of color, but it's never explained how or why. And this is when you hear, when you hear, especially like uh, women of color feminists go off on quote unquote white feminism or liberal, like more often liberal feminism, but sometimes radical feminine gets caught up in that too, but just quote unquote white feminism is because so often the narratives that are started by women of color think ideas like intersectionality, White feminists kind of take it and then like, I don't know, chop, screw, flip it and reverse it to something that benefits primarily them and then say they're doing it for people of color. But when you look at the tangible results, it often doesn't. And that's where that's where that rift comes in. This could be an episode on its own. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I could I could talk for hours about I could, about yeah. like you know using women of color as like puppets to advance their own fucking non their their own white interests, right? So another example of this phenomenon you're talking about is like I've seen some takes on Twitter uh, on sex work Twitter, like it was like being opposed to the sex industry is ableist because there are some disabled women out there who use sex work to earn an income. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think that is horrifying to imply that like the only thing that disabled women are good for is sucking dick. So sad. Oh, this reminds me, this reminds me, I wanted to talk about this in the beginning. There used to be this website called bumfights.com. Have you ever heard of that? Ah, uh, vaguely, yeah. So from the early 2000s, there was like this website and a DVD series called bumfights.com. It was like a prank series. But what they would do is they would pay homeless men to do dangerous and dehumanizing things. They would pay them to drink glass cleaner. They would pay them to, uh, they put each other in a shopping cart and like wheel them out in the middle of traffic. They'd pay them to stab themselves. They'd pay them into getting uh, bare knuckle bloody fights with other people. It was really, really, really brutal and dehumanizing to these obviously a lot of times drug addicted, mentally ill homeless men. And there was like an uproar around this because people were like, this is clearly inhumane. It's not okay. Even though these people, even though these men, these homeless men are willing and they are getting paid for it. Paid labor. Like it's paid labor. No different than working at McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> that was like kind of the justification that these guys, the guys that were filming them making, they're just like some, like, I don't know, like 20 year old, like douchebags. And they were exploiting these homeless people. And, and eventually there was like an uproar because obviously it was inhumane and it got shut down and these guys went to prison for a bunch of other stuff. Like they ended up like, I, I think I read one of them like mailed baby parts to somebody else. Like it was actually like these guys were just straight up sociopaths in addition to them doing this quote unquote entertainment series of homeless men doing really horrible things. Now this population of people includes women. And a lot of times these are the women who end up in sex work. It's not okay to make an industry of sexually exploiting people like this. Yeah. 
That's what I, that's what I need them to understand. Like, yeah, like sex work is not a fucking band-aid for the failures of capitalism. Yeah. Oh, oh, preach. God. <laughs> Testify. It actually makes me fucking angry to see. Angry, doesn't it? Right. They don't understand why we're mad. Right. Because they're like, why are you guys so mad? But it is. It's Yeah. Like, and, and they, t- they interpret that anger as hatred, but we're not angry or we're not like hating the individual sex worker. We're hating the whole system. And we have a right to be angry. <laughs> it's a fucked up system. <laughs> okay. The solution is not to, okay, let's make it totally okay for people to sexually exploit disabled, mentally ill uh, drug addicted women out on the street, basically because these like choosy choice sex workers don't want to go to jail and they don't want their johns to be like discouraged from giving them money. So they like lobby for these ideas with the idea that, oh, well, it's just sex. Why am I going to be in trouble for uh, for something I could give away for free and get money? And you bitches out here sucking dick for free. And I'm out here getting money for this dick I suck. And, and they have this whole attitude like everybody's jealous of them. And I'm like, loser. The anti-sex laws are not for you. They're for the bottom portion of society for whom this will be an absolute goddamn nightmare. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, the solution to, you know, disabled people not being able to earn an income or like homeless women, the solution to that is to have a... A proper welfare state. Yeah, proper welfare. People are going to be like, oh my God, you're a radical Marxist. Yeah, I'm a fucking radical Marxist. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think that we should have social programs to protect the most vulnerable members of society, including disabled people. And the thing that makes me so angry is when they talk about these policies in terms of social programs is just the way they talk about disabled men versus disabled women, right? So they'll say, I'm pro-sex work because disabled men can't get sex easily. And so they should be able to hire a woman to have sex with them. What kind of women are going to do that? The women who are very desperate. Stop it, right? Like, uh, and, what, uh, and It's such a double standard because they never say, oh, like disabled women should have the government pay to have sex, male sex workers to go sexually service them. No, their solution for female disabled people is to say that they should suck dick for money and that they should be the ones going into and earning an income by being a sex worker because apparently a lot of guys out there have like a disability kink or whatever. But again, that's another fucked up thing. Like my sugar, ba- like my sugar daddy saying he wants to date rape a woman we shouldn't be caring these these women are and these women are you know just um they're so much more vulnerable especially if you have a mental illness if you've got a physical disability you really want to put them in a situation with a man who's essentially paid to rape them and you think that's going to have a good outcome yeah like the disabled women are already more likely to face abuse yes even in like not sex even outside of sex work exactly disabled women already disproportionately face so much sexual abuse did you hear that case of the woman who was in a coma who got pregnant because yes and she got and they only found out when she was like moaning in bed like giving birth that's when they found out because she was raped by like i think it was one of the male nurses um, he raped her for, and he raped her for a long time as well. For years. Like, so yeah, like it, it is so, I'm actually getting like the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up because this feels wrong. If you are a ethically, morally well-adjusted person, you will look at that sort of statement and be like, that is fucked up. We should not be suggesting that disabled women put themselves in these dangerous situations to earn a living like the solution would be for the government to tax the uber rich the fucking billionaires and you know pay to have these dis- and to give them proper support and to give them proper support occupational therapy pay for an apartment so they're not like one paycheck away from being on the streets 
Like, oh my God. Like, it just makes you wonder who's behind this because it's like, why wouldn't anybody in their right mind suggest that we make an industry out of sexually exploiting these people? Like, and then call this feminist because I mean, it's actually just point blank offensive on its face. It is offensive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for the record, we, we support the Nordic model, which is uh, decriminalizing women who sell sex and criminalizing buyers. Yeah. I don't think sex workers should be going to jail unless they're pimps. Like, I don't think women who are trafficked, women who are trafficked shouldn't be going to jail. But we also cannot make an industry of men sexually exploiting vulnerable women, period. That cannot happen. That would be the worst thing to happen to women. I don't know why. I don't know why this is really picking up the kind of steam it is, but it shouldn't. I mean, I mean, they like to argue that sex work is one of the oldest professions to which I respond well. Like slavery's existed since the beginning of time. Most people, the same crowd who argue that sex work is work, were also the ones marching for BLM and the liberation of you know people of color from, I guess, the residual effects of slavery. But they don't, they don't seem to connect the dots that you know, the amount of time something's been around is, it doesn't, it doesn't really speak to its moral standing. And do you really think these women in the times of the Bible were collecting the coins when they were sucking dick? Absolutely not. They were under the thumb of men. I mean, pimps have existed since the beginning of time. Sexual exploitation has existed since the beginning of time, not sex work. Yeah. And there's been societies that have had it be legal or like at least not criminalized and it hasn't made it safer or better necessarily for sex workers. So again, I don't understand where this narrative comes from because it's not like we're the only society in history. There's other societies in histories where it's like where brothels and whatever were normal part of business and it hasn't made everything magically better for them. So I don't know. Yeah, like sex work has been legal, well, quote unquote legal, or like at least not criminalized for like most of human history. And and Savannah, I think the comparison of prostitution to slavery is, like, I think we talked about this in the mod chat where um, it's such a good comparison because both started to exist at the dawn of civilization um, because, like, slavery, for example, started to exist because agriculture is backbreaking work that people don't want to do. And so one of the ways that people would get agricultural work to be done is to enslave them and compel them and use violence to compel them to do work that they don't want to do. And prostitution is exactly the same way. It's about using violence to compel women to do sexual labor that they don't want to do. And so I don't think that that's like, they're both very similar actually as an institution. And if you're against slavery, you should also be against prostitution. Facts. Exactly. (sighs) I almost feel spent. <laughs> I feel like I have so much more in the tank, but also like... Yeah, this is exhausting. This 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 has been an exhausting week. Oh my God. <laughs> it has. <laughs> I just hope for the people who saw the thread and like, you know, a, a little bit of the lip femme narrative started to crack just a little bit and they started to kind of understand why prostitution in its current form has been not legalized and made like a normal part of business for this long is because of the exploitative nature. And also like, just stop lying that this is an industry that's going to overall either empower women or that we have the kind of power in this industry overall when it is controlled by men. The house always wins here. The house always wins. And um, I don't know, I, I probably missed some points, but yeah. So long as you support prostitution, men will always win. It's that simple. Yeah, it's that simple. Uh, and that's our show. Please check out our Twitter at femdatstrat, as well as our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy and our website, thefemaledatingstrategy.com. Thanks for listening, queens. And for all you only fans having monkey spanking ass groats, die mad. <laughs>